Okay, by a show of hands, how many of you are interested in getting more stuff done every day? Okay, hold that hand up and get ready for it to be slapped. It's not to get more stuff done. That isn't even the goal. The mindset level, you say, I want to get the right things done. So what's stopping most of us from spending time on the right things? Well, we can begin with those things called notifications. I mean, can you believe it? I mean, this system taps you. You say, if you haven't paid attention to me, hey, by the way, you haven't paid attention to me. It taps you. Incredible. On this week's show, the New York Times best-selling author and advocate of essentialism. The vast majority of people know there is a problem. That's not the same as them knowing what to do about it. That's not the same as them changing. But I think that there is a great groundswell of awareness that this thing bites. It does bite to feel overwhelmed or trying to balance it all. So today we dive into a very different approach, the disciplined pursuit of less. This is the Decide to Lead podcast with Russ Hill. Welcome in to episode number 16. We're all the way up to 16 of the Decide to Lead podcast. My name is Russ Hill. For those of you who've never tuned in a one uh, to any previous episode. I make my living as a consultant, primarily working with large corporations around the world as they seek to manage their culture so that people think and act in the way necessary to accelerate achievement of desired results, whatever the corporation or the team's trying to, whatever outcomes they're trying to get to. We do that by managing the culture and working with strategy and culture together. But enough about that. This podcast is not about necessarily what I do for a living. It's more about what I'm learning, what I'm seeing, what I'm hearing, what I'm thinking. And enough of you are getting value out of it or at least lying to me and telling me that you're getting value from it, that it's moving up in the rankings and getting great reviews and Apple Podcasts and in Google Play Music and lots of other places. So it's rewarding for me to to share this, and really it's a hobby of mine. And uh, I get enough great feedback about it that uh, I keep doing it. I can't wait to where it's not episode 16, it's episode 216. That's a long way off, but we're going to keep plugging away at it. So Decide to Lead, this podcast, it is primarily aimed at those who are not, not yet the person that they want to become, and for leaders who are looking for ideas, tips, hacks, different ways that they can help their team accomplish extraordinary results. So let's dive into today's show. If you've tuned in over the course of any of the past 15 episodes, you know that I don't spend, I try not to spend a lot of time in small talk, like a lot of podcasts that are out there, because I know you're busy. I know you're like me. You don't have an hour and a half to listen to a podcast that really only has 15 minutes of great content. So I, I try to do away with most of the small talk and just get right to the guest or the idea or whatever I'm trying to share with you. So today's guest, Greg McEwen. Greg is someone who I've wanted to introduce all of you to for quite some time. His book called Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less, is not one, at least in my experience, that most people have heard about. Yet it's it's a bestseller. It's made all the bestseller lists out there. It came out a couple of years ago, and it's earned Greg invitations to places like Apple and Google 
And this doesn't really fit in with those two, but Steve Harvey's show. <laughs> Greg's, uh, Greg's even built a consulting firm around it. He's a super nice guy. You'll hear and discover quickly in our conversation that we recently recorded. You'll discover that Greg's, uh, he's not from the States, not from the United States, but he lives in California now. By way of introduction, Greg would scoff at anyone who introduced him as somebody that specializes in time management or productivity. Yeah, that's part of it, but it's bigger than that for Greg. He's not about necessarily changing your calendar or getting you to change your calendar. That is a byproduct of his work. But what he's really interested in doing, and he'll explain it here in a moment better than I can, he wants to. He wants you to change your. Pers- he wants all of us to change our perspective and realize that the busyness of our lives isn't moving most of us closer to accomplishing what's most important to us. So we start our our conversation. We started recording when I asked Greg what happened in his life that caused him to devote this portion, at least, of his career to helping people discover what he has labeled essentialism. I received an email from my boss at the time saying that Friday would be a very bad time for my wife to have a baby, at least between one o'clock and two o'clock in the afternoon, because that's when uh, a client meeting was taking place and uh, they, they wanted me to come. And I'm sure they were joking, but somehow I was in the hospital with my wife at that time. Uh, and uh, daughter's born the night before, you know, middle of the night, Thursday night, but we're in the hospital Friday. And instead of being focused, instead of being present for that moment, I feel torn. How can I keep everybody happy? How can I do both? And, uh, and so I decided to go to the meeting and, uh, and the look on the faces of the leaders there didn't really evince uh, a sort of confidence that I'd made the right decision. And even if they had supported it, it was clear to me in hindsight that I'd made a fool's bargain. I learned from this the simplest of lessons, which is if you don't prioritize your life, uh, someone else will. And that was a spark uh, that, that lit up a series of other observations I'd been making working with Silicon Valley companies uh, where I noticed a, a similar experience uh, happening with other people in their lives and in their leadership within the organizations they're a part of. In fact, I noticed a, a, a culture, and to give it a name, eventually I named it a culture of non-essentialism, where people and, and people listening to this can can ask themselves these questions right now to have a sense. You know, maybe they haven't done what I did, uh, but. Maybe they have sometimes felt busy, but not productive like I was feeling. Maybe they have felt stretched too thin at work or at home like I was feeling. Maybe they feel like their day is increasingly being hijacked by other people's agenda for them. And that's who I wrote the book for, uh, is, is for, is for, is for people that felt this culture pressing upon them, uh, actually enabling them to do more and more of the trivial stuff rather than uh, you know, less of the nonsense and more of the things that matter most or the essential things. Well, well, I've seen you make a considerable effort 
Greg, to help people understand that when you talk about you, you, you wrote a few years ago about essentialism. Now you, you go out and you teach that and you work with organizations and individuals about incorporating that into their life. I've heard you make a considerable effort to uh, for people to understand this isn't a skill set as much as it is a mindset. Talk to us about that. Well, it's first it's a mindset uh, out of the mindset grows a skill set. It does affect behavior. But first and foremost, you have to attack this at the root. If you believe that if you fit it all in, then you will end up with it all and that you ought to have it all. Like if you believe those three things, uh, my job of life is to shove all of this stuff in. And if I do that, I will get everything I want in life. And that, in fact, is the ideal circumstances to get more of everything. If you believe that deep down then any attempt to learn a new skill set could easily just produce more of the same behavior. So as a result, I see this happening where people read productivity books. I don't think essentialism is primarily a productivity book, but they read productivity books and they just try to more efficiently do the stuff on their to-do list. And the problem with that is that you just exacerbate the problem and you end up more exhausted, more stressed out. You, you, you end up more stretched too thin. And so if you try and attack this problem just at the skill set level as another you know, tactic, another, another trick, uh, 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 another you know, a, a little tool here, a tool there then I think the risk is that you just become a more uh, deliberate non-essentialist. <laughs> and, and that fundamentally doesn't change anything. So you have to challenge it at the core. The core idea is, uh, is less but better. If the problem is the undisciplined pursuit of more, then the solution is the disciplined pursuit of less but better. You believe deep down, you say, look, I can't do any, everything. Uh, I, I can do anything, but not everything. My goal is not to do all of it. It's to get the right things done. It's not to get more stuff done. That isn't even the goal. The mindset level, you say, I want to get the right things done. And that's a very different mindset. When you have that mindset, the skills start to change spontaneously uh, and, and you start to you know, live out of a different, a different way of uh, or a different way of living, what I might describe as the way of the essentialist. What, what was a book like this, um, an idea like this that you're teaching, Greg? Was it as needed 50 years ago, 100 years ago, by by the generations that came before us, or did something change in society that caused this message that you're you're preaching to be so necessary? If you go back a long time, back to the 1400s. Uh, that's when the word priority came into the English language. It was singular. Uh, I mean, it, actually, the word priority, of course, is still singular today. Uh, but, but then it was just singular. It just, just meant the very first thing. That, that means, according to Peter Drucker, at least, it wasn't pluralized until 500 years later in response, I suppose, to the Industrial Revolution, where somebody was in such a deep efficiency mindset – such a factory mindset that they said, I know the solution <laughs> to the problem of having too many things to do. We just have to have many, many priorities. 
which is a word that I struggle with now because can you really have very, very many very first and before all other things things? And of course you can't. Uh, you, you, but it doesn't stop people saying it all the time. Here are my 25 priorities, they say in a meeting. And, and then people are just sort of left with this idea. Yes, it's all important. It's all urgent. It all has to be done. And it creates really big problems for the individual and also for the culture of a team and a whole organization. In fact, it increases the politics and, and it, it suffocates the creativity and disempowers people all at the same time, all without meaning to do it. This is the real cost of non-essentialism uh, to, to, to organizations because when people don't know what the priority is, when they don't know this is what matters most, then they're left to play their own game. You, if you don't know the priority, you don't know how to work as a team. You don't know how to divide up the roles and responsibilities. So as a result, you have to play your own game. And a lot of people are playing a lot of games because they don't know what the real game is. The real game only can take place when you know here's the priority and then you can divide up the roles and responsibilities from there. So, yes, there's been a big change in the broader culture outside, you know, over this period of time. Uh, that was phase one. Phase two is in the post-industrial in the in the uh, post-Second World War. Uh, we, we moved from being, you know, uh, into sort of a consumerism mindset where it was all about, uh, you know, getting people really deliberately distracted from the uh, from what had just happened on in the war uh, and, uh, and 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 shifting into using all your extra time to do two things, which is to watch television and shop. And that is literally what we have spent most of our time doing, you know, beyond beyond our work time ever since. And so that itself breeds a certain way of thinking. It breeds non-essentialism. You have to have it all. And how you get it all is by doing it all. And, and, and it just this is. And then, of course, phase three, we've all lived through. It's the, the last few years, last 10 years, maybe, where we've gone from being connected to hyper connected as as all of the same assumption that's been now growing, growing under the, uh, you know, for all this time is now given like a, a, a steroid injection. Uh, is now pr propelling at a hyper speed as, as social media takes off and you just watch people outdoing each other on this exceptional thing of this amazing part of their life and they're sending out the message that my whole life is like this. So people are competing and comparing themselves against this completely unrealistic, impossible set of standards. And and, and I think it makes people quite sick. Uh, actually, it, it creates a sort of madness uh, makes a lot, creates a lot of unhappiness. So that's sort of the pack cloth. That doesn't sound very pretty, but that's what's going on. And so I, I, as a response to that, you can either go with the system. You can either just be a non-essentialist by default, or you can choose to be an essentialist deliberately by design. So let's go back to the impact on organizations in a minute. Right now, let's say that let, – let, let's just go through the scenario. Let's say we pick someone who's listening – to this podcast episode right now, and you became their personal coach on transforming their life to become an essentialist, where would you begin? I'd begin with you, Russ. <laughs> could I, <laughs> could I do that? Could, could I start with you? Would you be willing sure. to be a, a, a coachy for a second? Sure. Uh, so, so, so Russ, let's, we're going to go through three steps. We're going to figure out something that's essential for you 
that's underinvested in. We're going to actually, I'll go through the steps as we go through them. So can you think right now of something in your life that's hyper important, it's highly, highly important to you, extremely important or essential that you currently underinvest in? You might be doing something, but you just feel, you know, I'm doing something in this, but I still feel like I'm underinvesting it. It's so important to me, but I'm really not getting to it in the way that I would feel more satisfied about what comes to mind. Several things, <laughs> which speaks to the value of essentialism. Let me give you one. So one would be, uh, I've got four kids. The oldest is a senior in high yeah. school. So he's halfway right. through his senior year. The clock's ticking. So am You're I- in the tail end. I am, yeah, of the at-home phase, right? And so am I investing in that? Of course. Am I investing as much as potentially I should? Probably not. Yeah, you, you're saying it. You feel it. In fact, I just—I uh, mean, the statistics are, are, are important on this. Uh, when when he leaves home, uh, you will have finished ninety-four percent of the FaceTime you'll ever have with him hmm. will be done. So that's a that's a startling statistic, and it, and it helps to underline what your conscience is already speaking to you. You're already saying this this thing matters. I can feel it. I can sense the opportunity. But I'm not investing it to the degree that I would like to be. Give me one shot at this question, which is just tell me one time, but try and just go as vulnerable, as honest, as core as you can. Why does this matter to you so much? Why? Go. Because I want him um, down the road to to I want to make sure he looks back at this period of time and believes he was one of my highest priorities. You, you, you want him to know, you know, dad had a lot to do, but I, he made time for me because I, he, he didn't just say I mattered. I could see that he made the trade off in his life to show that I mattered to him. Correct. So let's, that's stage one. This is the first phase of becoming an essentialist is to figure out what is essential. We don't have to do that necessarily in a great big philosophical way. We can do it in just the way we just did. An area of life that is something that's highly important that's underinvested in. Okay, step two is to eliminate the non-essential. So what I want you to do now is to go to the other end of the extreme of, the, of, of this sort of importance continuum and tell me something right now that is unimportant in your life that you're over-investing in. <laughs> right? um, so this is something that's extremely low value, yeah. but it's the habit of your life. And, and, and it's not, I'm sure, a terrible thing, but it's just you go. It's not important. It's just there. It's become a part of what I do. T tell me what comes to mind. Um, you, you mentioned social media. There's, there's absolutely part of that. Another thing would be um, staying as up to date on the news of the day yeah. as I am. Now, Things do you like have a sense? Great. So if you if you added up all of your and it depends what social media you're using. But if you if you added up all of your you know, FaceTime use, Twitter use, uh, you, you know, LinkedIn use, every time you read a news article or you watch, you know, the latest. I mean, everything's breaking news, right? Everything <laughs> endlessly is breaking news. So if you added up all the time that you're spending on that and you might not know the answer, but what do you think you're spending on that per day? 30 minutes, may, may, maybe, m probably more, but that's what comes to mind. Now you've got a choice, right? 
Now you've got something. You've, we've gone through step one. What was essential and why does it matter? We've gone through what is non-essential. And we, we haven't said why doesn't it matter, but we, we, we recognize this is a waste of time. Now you've got to move to step three, and there's only three steps. Step three is to, is to execute. So you've got explore, eliminate, execute. Those are the three steps. This is the ongoing process. What I mean by execute, though, is that essentialists build essentialist systems. They build systems that support what they've identified as being essential. Now, just think, just reflect for one second about the complexity and expense and, and design level of the non-essential items mm. on that list. Think of the literally billions of dollars. I mean, if, depending how you count it, I suppose you could maybe even get to hundreds of billions of dollars that have been spent building a system to make it effortless for you to spend time on those things and compare it to the, to the, to the system that has been built for spending quality, focused time, energized time on your son. Mm -hmm. You know, one is a system designed to be addictive, to be easy, to be effortless, to be there, to be always on, to be tapping you. I mean, can you believe it? I mean, we, this system taps you. You say, if you haven't paid attention to me, hey, by the way, you haven't paid attention to me. It taps you. Incredible. And this has all been designed and, and, and then studied and designed again scientifically, engineering, to make it as easy as possible, to pull you into it. So that's that system. Now, what's the equivalent system? There's no equivalent system. There is some, but there's nothing to compare. So you've got to build your own system. Now, in the interest of time, let's just like shoot down to like one single strategy. Actually, here's a, here's a bold thing. Most people don't want to do this, and, and, but you could at least try this, which is just for a week, get email off your phone. You don't need it on your phone every single moment. You can still check hmm. on a laptop. But if it's on your phone, you're never gone. You win every second. We check out. It's so weird. Our behavior is so weird because the system is set up to create weird behavior. It is, is it not? <laughs> you see, I used to ask the question, why is it people are spending their time doing non-essentials and not essentials? And now I realize, dumb question. The reason that's a dumb question is because it's obvious, isn't it? Isn't it obvious? If you're spending hundreds of billions of dollars trying to get people to behave in this way, and then you're going to create a social peer group that makes it not just socially acceptable, but is socially reinforcing to do it. Of course, people are going to behave that way. I, I'm doing some re new research and new work right now. It's too early days to even get into it too much. But, uh, but, but really studying this, this element and, and, and what people can do to very quickly get out of this pattern. What, what you can do to, to almost instantly change. It seems to me part of what you do or most of what you do, and correct me if I'm wrong here, is stopping individuals and pushing out the noise and causing them to really think about what's most important. Is that true? Um. Yes, I think that's as good a description as the next. I when I think about what I do, it's it's it feels like it's shining a light on a way of living and behaving and thinking that we take for granted as if it's the only way one can live. As if it's the only that's as if we haven't made a choice. And I'm just trying to say there's an alternative. This undisciplined pursuit of more, this always on way of living is not the natural state of the human condition. 
So that means that somebody somewhere is not living like that. They're choosing something else. So we can make a different choice. And and I'm, of course, advocating one of those choices. But in a way, I'm not – I mean, in a way, I don't want to be disingenuous. But You're asking a, the questions well, though, right? Well, I'm saying, I'm saying this. If somebody listening to this, if non-essentialism is working for you, keep doing it. You know, hmm. ignore what I'm saying. If it's working for you, it's del- if it's delivering what it's promising, great. That means you have great relationships. It means that you're well-rested. It means that you, you've got the life that you want to have. You're happy in it. The most important relationships are getting the energy they, they have, and you, you've got it all. So keep doing it. In fact, double down on the strategy. Hmm. Do it all. Do everything for everyone. You'll get what you really want. Now, of course, I have a position based upon my own experience, based upon working now with people all over the world, based upon you know, research too, that that, that isn't what people are getting, that, it, that they're not getting what it says on the packaging. So I'm just trying to suggest that there is an alternative and an increasing number of people are choosing that alternative. Certainly, I would say now that the, the majority of people know there is a problem. Now, the vast majority of people know there is a problem. That's not the same as them knowing what to do about it. That's not the same as them changing. But I think that there is a great groundswell of awareness that this thing bites. You know, that non-essentialism is not a friend to us. That this way of living, they don't know how to get out, but they don't want to be in. <laughs> and mm-hmm. and, it, and what, I, what I observe is a sort of busyness cycle where – or a distraction cycle is even a better term for it, where they're distracted by everything. And then that causes a really like unsatisfying, frustrating, busy way of living. And then they seek out distraction to avoid facing that reality. So, you know, so it's not just incoming. It's that they proceed to go, Oh, no, I'm, I'm going to jump, just jump onto Netflix, watch the next episode. You know, I want to avoid being in this painful moment. Non-essentialism creates a painful, painful moments. It's painful for people. It's not satisfying. It's not good. It's not healthy. They're not having joy in it. They're not happy in it. <laughs> and mm. so we want to avoid that experience. And the only way we know how to avoid it is pursuing more. Okay, I'll get, I'm going to choose some great show, some, some show on Netflix. That's going to get me out of this pain. And, of course, it does while we're watching it. But it, the, the, the pain is waiting for us on the, uh, once we arrive back home afterwards. Greg, most of our time in this, in this discussion has been focused on individual and personal application, right, which is, which is life-changing. When you work with organizations, does this does – this, everything you just talked about from a, the personal impact does it apply to organizations as well what can you give us just i know I, I know that could be another hour um or two or three but give us a quick summary of what you've what you've seen about the impact of non-essentialism in organizations the the, the exact same process we just described we were not described experienced together this moment mm-hmm. is the same process not, not not almost the same, but the same process as you might have in a conversation with somebody else on your team or, or including your manager or if you were a manager. So let's – I mean I, I, we could choose any of those, but let's take that you're the manager of a team of people. Now, 
it doesn't mean you go and dictate this is what matters, this is what doesn't matter. No, you say, okay, everybody, what is something that's essential that we're under investing in? Okay, we let's have a discussion about that. Let's figure these items up on the board. Let's put them in priority order. Let's choose the top item, the most important thing that we feel is most underinvested in. Then number two, we're going to look at something that overinvesting in that is non-essential. Together, let's identify well, where are we wasting our time? We're just spending spinning our wheels on something. Okay, we've identified that. Now let's work together, together, collaboratively, collectively to build a system of accountability, to build a system of incentives and disincentives that will actually help us, you know, divide up the roles and so on to really uh, stack the decks in our favor of achieving what we've just identified, actually eliminating the non-essential and and achieving the essential. This this council process, this discussion process, perhaps sometimes a debate process, is to me like that process is the work of leadership. In fact, I find it quite hard to to identify anything that is real leadership that is outside of what I just described. Hmm. Like what else is there but collectively working to, to working together to figure out what's essential, working together to figure out what we should be eliminating, and working together to build a system to make that trade-off in a consistent way and celebrating the success of it. I mean, that's leadership. So when we talk about leadership outside of those three interrelated practices, I think we're talking about some like funky monkey stuff. I don't know what that is. <laughs> it's, it's, it's some other thing. You know, but that's then, what everybody does. Then they're doing some other weird stuff. And, and, and that, can be true, that can be true for professionals who are trying to develop leadership you know, within within organizations. And it can be true for people who just are in those roles who are trying to implement stuff. I mean, this is the real work of leadership. Uh, to be an essentialist is like the, the, the heart of the matter. And uh, and and so that that's one way it applies. I mean, you can say the same thing when it talks about hiring. If you if you try to hire great people, you say, OK, what's one thing that we are is absolutely essential to hire the right people? That we're currently under investing in. And what's one thing that we're currently doing, you know, culturally that gets in the way that we're spending time on it, but it gets in the way of actually being able to have the, the right people. Let's identify that together. And now let's work out a system that will actually consistently, repeatedly in a sustainable way, help us to make that trade off so we can get the result we want. I mean, it's the same process and it's the iterative, ongoing, relentless, disciplined pursuit of what is essential instead of an undisciplined pursuit of the non-essential. This is, uh, mm-hmm. this is how it applies at the, or, you know, the team and cultural level. I love that. I, I, I so believe in, in what you're talking about. Leadership is about getting higher, right? Getting out of, out of the weeds for a moment, getting higher. That's what I hear you saying in, in my own words and looking at what we should be doing. You're, you're leading the organization rather than managing activity and just trying to keep up with it, being reactive. You're trying to, what are the results we need to produce? Where do we need to go as an, as an organization? And unfortunately, you, you see it, it sounds like, obviously in your work, and I certainly see it in mine, um, th- that is a challenge for yes, many leaders. Yes, but I, and I, I hate to, 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 be, to, to be too 
uh, fractious about this, but but I I just think we need leadership and management. Essentialism assumes both. In 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 in, in rich supply, you you need you. This idea that that leadership versus management, which has been very popular, obviously for the last twenty, thirty years, and uh, and sort of launched the leadership, you know, field in a sense. I understand, and it's true. If you're just managing and you're not leading, and generally, I would agree that organizations are overmanaged and underled. I agree with all of that. But essentialism assumes both values. You're saying we want to get the right things done, so you do need both competencies to come together. So you work together to be able to figure out it's not enough just to know. It's not enough to write some whimsical vision and mission statement that no one knows what it means and it goes up on the wall and literally doesn't affect another decision from then to the end of time because no one knew what the trade-off was. That's not useful. You know, you, you, you have to get above the weeds, as you say, in figuring out what is our essential intent, what actually we concretely mean by it, why that matters, Eliminate what's not. And then together, you need leadership and management to build a system that can actually produce those results over time. So so I, I think it brings together, it bridges and brings together that divide uh, rather than sort of thinking we just need one at the, at the cost of the other. Greg, you've been you've been generous in your time. Um, thank you so much. It's I, there, there's so much more in the book, obviously. I'm excited. I, I think what I heard you say is there's more to come. Hopefully, I don't know. Is, is there another book in the works? Well, to, to, uh, it, the answer is yes, but it's uh, it's very early days. Uh, okay. I, I, I just want to do it. I just want to do it and do it right, and do it at the right time. So I'm not I'm not trying to force it or to to make it happen. Uh, you know, ahead of but, schedule. But but your work is on what I heard you say was habits or systems. To, to increase the chances we can do that. Did I hear that right? <laughs> what, 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 the only thing I'll say to, to, to clarify further is <laughs> – He doesn't want to It's about how fast can you make change happen. Mm. It's, it's how – you know, it's, it's, it's can you in, almost instantly shift so that you can start not, not being in the sense of, oh, I'll get to it eventually or mm. some huge – I've got to have some big philosophical – you know, perfect clarity to move forward. No, we got to we got to figure out a way to be able to 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 to, to make change happen. Uh, you know, almost instantly. That's that to me is an interesting subject when it comes to the to the idea of essentialism and the challenge we have. Non-essentialism has been divided in this way. It's it's the latest updates, the latest tweet, it's the latest like, it's the latest you know response. And so, whatever system we need for resolving it has to be able to uh, to to to. To, to deal with that reality. Greg, thanks. Appreciate your time. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much, Russ. That is Greg McEwen, the author of Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less. There is so much we didn't have time to get into that I hope you'll, you'll take some time after this and uh, go to the show notes at russhill.com slash 016 russhill.com slash 016 for episode 16 and you'll click on some of the links i've got links there to for you to check out and potentially purchase greg's book essentialism off of amazon you can uh, you can check out some of the youtube videos of greg speaking at different places like google or different conferences 
or you can uh, find out more about his firm if you're interested in booking him to come speak to your your particular company. Again, there is so, man, I wish we had like an hour and a half because there are things that are in the book and that Greg advocates that we didn't even touch on that, in my view, are life-changing. And so, RussHill.com slash 016. I hope you'll check out those, those links, click on them, and dig deeper into this topic. All right, that does it for Episode 16. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you haven't done it yet, I encourage you, ask you to subscribe. Click on the subscribe button on whatever app you're listening to this podcast on. And each week, the new episode will pop in automatically into your app. Look forward to talking to you next week. Have a great week, everybody.